Well, hey church, I'm here at the College Hill Reservoir. It's just a few blocks from the church, just up the hill, but it's amazing how much difference a few blocks can make. It changes your perspective, gives you a different view on what's around you. You know, just, just a week ago, my wife Paula and I, we headed over to the beach to get out of the smoke that had surrounded our city, and it was just so difficult, as we all know. And so we, we made reservations at a place to stay in Yahats, and we, we loaded up the, the car, and we drove the hour and a half to get there, went through traffic, did all those things. And then we got there, and it was amazing. We, for the first time in so long, we saw blue skies, and we saw the sun, and we, we breathed in air that smelled sweet. And, we were reminded that even though in town at that time it seemed like everything was darkness, everything was smoke, that really the sun was still shining and that the air was still good in some places. See, I think that's part of what we have to remind ourselves in these times. That even when it seems dark, even when it seems uncertain, that God is still good, He's still with us, and He still loves us. So the last uh, few weeks, I've spent quite a bit of time volunteering at different places to help with evacuees, to help with those that are displaced by the fires. I've been at Lane Event Center, I've been at the evacuee station by Autzen Stadium. And I've heard some stories in that time, uh, stories that, that I, I couldn't hardly believe, except I knew they were true. You know, stories of people coming out of Blue River and having to actually drive through walls of fire to get to safety. Stories of people that had to stay in the river while the, the flames moved past them. Oh, some incredible stories of God's mercy and grace. But I think the stories that struck me most were the folks that had relationship with God. And they walked through this, and when you would talk to them, there would be this incredible gratitude that would come out of their lives. And even joy. Like, I couldn't believe there was joy. And even though for some, maybe they had lost almost everything in terms of material things, they had gained so much in terms of eternity. It was like they were being carried by grace. It was like their perspective was completely different than mine. And I realized that I need that perspective. I need my perspective to change. But for that to happen, that means I'm going to have to move. I'm going to have to do something different. See, for all of us, these have been challenging days, haven't they? And, and for me, there's been some days that I, I wasn't sure I was winning the battle over the despair that I saw around us and the ugly smoke that moved its way into our town. Maybe you've felt that way in this time. But as I, I talk with those around me and even those who have been evacuated and, and those who are, are all of us who are living in uncertainty, and, and I think for each of us when we're looking at COVID and we're looking at civil unrest and now devastating fires, I think we can all feel this great sense of sadness, a sense of brokenness, a sense of displacement, like, like, what is this? What is my life now? What is going on? And, and I find myself thinking about the words Jesus said regarding his return. And she won't know the day or the hour, but you can see the signs of the season. And it seems like around us, these are late seasons. And so the question becomes, how then do we live? How do we experience what God is trying to build, what God is trying to renew, what God is trying to refine in these times? 
all of us, we're in a crucible of sorts. And how do we let God burn off all of that dross in our lives? How, how do we let him rid us of the things that should have never been in us to begin with? How do we allow God to prune us? And I would point us to what is really a simple answer, but it's not an easy answer. The only solution is we have to get closer to God not farther away from God. We, we have to get closer to each other, not more distant. We have to get closer to who God made us to be, not farther from that ideal. And if we can say yes to that, not only will we make it through this time, but we will actually become better through this time. So will we respond to God's call to come closer? That is the series we begin today, a series centered around those three circles of life, what it is to be close to God and close to each other and close to who God made us to be. And today we begin with what it looks like to actually draw close to God. I was driving down River Road the other day and I, I saw a man with his dog. They were walking down the street. The dog had a leash. Walking down the street, they stopped at the crosswalk. They waited for the light to change. They moved across the crosswalk. Dog right there with them. The man went across the crosswalk, went up. The dog was right with him, made a left after the crosswalk. Away they went. Pretty normal thing, except for this. The dog had a leash on, but the man didn't have the leash. The dog was just following his person just right there with him, the leash dragging along beside the dog. And the man in every way just knew his dog was there. He wasn't looking back at him. He was just going, knowing that his dog was going to follow wherever he went. And I watched that and I went, wow, that's an amazing dog. So much different than my dog would be. Now, I love my dog. I love my dog Swagger. Love him. But that would not be the experience you would have walking my dog Swagger. Not at all. With Swagger, he, he, has, he has this sense of angst whenever he goes out. It's intense. And, and when, when we walk him, whenever he encounters another person or especially another dog, all that comes out of him is wailing. And is wailing a word? I'm not sure. Wailing whining, crying, that's what comes out of him as a dog. It's this mix kind of, of of uncontrolled hormonal obsession and fear. It's a lot like being at a middle school dance. It's like that. That's what it feels like when you're with him. And there's nothing about it that is easy. It's all embarrassing. It's humiliating every time we take him for a walk. We're dragging him by the leash. He doesn't want to go. It's painful. And we have to apologize to everyone around him. Two different dogs, two very different experiences regarding how they related to their people. And I found myself thinking that can be very true when it comes to us and God. That God certainly has the, the power to make us obey. He has the leash. He has the ability to force us onto the path that he knows is best for us. He could do that with the leash. But what he really wants for us is that we would choose to follow. God could have hardwired us to never stray, but God wanted to make us more than robots. He made us children. And He wants a relationship of love, not one of pre-programmed obedience. So God, what does He do? He, he drops the leash. He gives us the option to follow or not to follow. He says, would you choose me? Would you actually choose to walk the narrow road? the difficult road? Would you choose to follow me because you trust me 
and love me above all else? Or if when God drops the leash, do we find ourselves in that place of going, you know what, I'm just going to do it my way. And as we all know, we can end up in just a mess that we choose what we want. And often that leads us down painful roads. But that's many times the more accurate picture, isn't it? That that's what it looks like when we choose our way, not God's. You see, it's only in that choosing love that we can actually express what it is to respond to God's love. That we would choose even though He doesn't make us, even though He doesn't pull us by the leash. Yeah, yes, of course God could force us into obedience, but His desire is that we would want to follow Him out of devotion. So God drops the leash and He says, I'm here for you when you're ready to choose me. As James says, come near to God and He will come near to you. God says, I, I will draw close to you the moment that you desire to draw close to me. So God's call to each of us amidst these trying days is simply this. Get closer. Get closer to who God is. Now, what does that look like? Well, we get some great insight from the book of Matthew in a passage that will actually be the fulcrum of our new series. We're going to pick it up as these religious folks are grilling Jesus about why he says the things he says, why he does the things he does. And so we pick it up with that question. It's in Matthew 22, starting verse 35. Here's the question. It says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So here we have a, a very big, a very important question, perhaps the most important question. And the answer from Jesus to that question is this. Love God, love others, and love who God created you to be. This becomes the framework of our series, and we focus today on that first part. What does it look like to really love God? Here's the first thing I'll point out. Number one, intentionally get close to God. Intentionally get close to God. Again, back to the passage, Matthew 22, 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, the original word for heart here uh, has nothing to do with the, the muscle that pumps our blood. The, the word heart is mentioned 800 times in Scripture, but it doesn't refer to that muscle. It has everything to do with my will. When we talk about the heart, it's about my will. It's always a reference to the seat of our desire. And, and I think all of us can identify with, with this truth that not only can my will be very powerful, but it can also be very misguided. I've had the desire recently to not eat after 8 o'clock at night. It's been an important desire for me. I've wanted to do that. Uh, you know, it's not good for me. It's not good for my physical body. In fact, a lot of times if I eat after 8 o'clock, I end up throwing up later. It's just not a good scene for me to eat after 8 o'clock. And so I've tried and wanted to just discipline myself. I'm not going to eat after 8 o'clock. But guess what? My will wants me to go to the fridge at 9.30. I don't know if my will is on a different time zone. Maybe it's Australian. I'm not sure. All I know is I find myself in those moments in a battle 
And if my will wins that battle, I know my body's going to pay later. And I think all of us have experiences like that. So what's the answer? Well, here it is. God wants us to move past the desires of our heart and seek out the desires of His heart. That's why He tells us to pray, Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, Thy will. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Because inviting God's will over mine, it requires a very intentional choice that I would challenge the comfortable wide roads that are constantly trying to form in my life. These are the roads that have perhaps been in my life for years. These, these roads of selfishness that come wrapped up in religion. These roads of apathy that come wrapped in denial. Oh, those wide roads, they are so comfortable. But friends, we're not called to the wide roads. So Jesus says, will you intentionally choose the narrow road? Will you choose the tough road? Because that is the road that leads to me. These will-based decisions, they determine the trajectory of my life. And we must recognize that what my will looks like and what God's will looks like are almost always very, very different. Because we're told in the book of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So then, if my heart is a reference to my will, then my will is broken and dishonest. Yet even knowing that, we as broken human beings, we love to follow that wide road of our will and maybe even claim that it's God's will. Oh, if we wrap it in the right language, if we spin it right, it can sound like God. It can sound so good. We can rationalize just about anything. We can make sure it makes sense to us. As Sidney Harris wrote, once we assuage our conscience by calling something a necessary evil, it begins to look more and more necessary and less and less evil. This is why things like greed and racism and apathy have been allowed to continue in our churches for hundreds of years because we walked in our will and we called it God's. So we must set these wide road rationalizations up next to what Jesus actually calls us to, for it's only there that we will actually see they never line up with him that my will by default is in opposition to God. So what's the solution? Here's the solution. A heart transplant. A will replacement. Not my will, thy will. That I choose it, that I decide, that I intentionally get close to God. So that's number one, intentionally get close to God. Here's the second thing. Personally get close to God. Matthew 22, 37, it continues, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The word for soul literally means breath. Okay? This is the intersection where God's Spirit actually breathes into our lives and it connects itself to our upbringing and to our experiences. This is what makes up our personality. 
So the soul is our personal identity. It's our individuality. It reminds us that our relationship with God is as individual as we are. That I can't have your relationship with God and you can't have my relationship with God. It's completely personal. It's me personally responding to the breath of God's Spirit in my life. And, and, and I, I get it because it, it creates this tension though, doesn't it? God's saying this, but we feel all these things. This is, this is the tension I see right now. We all feel the distance, don't we? We feel the distance of not being able to gather in the same ways, not being able to have the, the same kinds of church experiences. And, and, and I feel that deeply. I mean, you have to understand, I have an extreme bias when it comes to gathering people together. That has been the focus of my life for, for the last 25 years. It's all I do. Not to mention that by nature, I'm an extrovert. I like people. I want to be around people. I don't like being distanced. And in fact, you're talking to a person that once talked so much in a class in high school that the teacher had me actually move my desk next to his, facing the class for the entire year. Now it kind of backfired on him because I, at that point, thought I was like the teacher's assistant. So I'm like grading papers and handing out demerits, that sort of thing. But it was, it was the whole year because of that part of who I am. So I like people. I like being together. But the problem for all of us is we, we feel this sense of tension in all of that right now. We want to be together, and yet we can't. So many of us feel this deep disconnection right now. And I feel it. I, I, I hate it. But I have to then step back and remind myself of this truth. That all we do in gathering is part of one goal to help each of us get close to God personally. That's why we gather. Think of David, the great worshiper of Scripture. He never did so with a full band, right? It was just him and God. He was solo, right? Think of John, who, who saw the, the vision that, that created the book of Revelation. He did so alone on the island of Patmos. Think, think of Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, and yet he did much of it from a prison cell. It was just people and God. The point is this, of all that we do as a church, our desire is to get to one place, individuals getting closer to God. That, friends, continues to happen in amazing ways. See, relationship with Jesus can be inspired corporately, but it must be implemented personally. So, if we are to draw close, to love God with our soul, we have to embrace this truth, that God loves us and wants relationship with us, and it's individual, it's you, it's personal. Now in that, of course, He will refine us. And He will heal us and He will correct us as we grow in Him. But loving God is not done from a distance. It's not impersonal. It's specific. It's you and God. See, it can't be just working for God, although that's good. And it can't be just ministering to God, although that also is good. It has to be being with God. Personal. 
And in this season of time where we know we're all being kept at a distance, keep the six feet thing happening, we must not allow the distance we experience in our world to become a distance that we then experience with our God. In fact, what I have seen in my own personal life and in the lives of many who are close to me in the midst of this painful time, I've seen a closeness in relationship with Jesus that I don't think I could have experienced any other way. So as much as I don't like this, I see God using it. As much as I wish it wasn't happening, I see that it's necessary. So let God use this time in you. Loving God with our soul means to love Him personally. See, if you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus, or maybe if that relationship has kind of gone to the back burner, I would invite you today to come back. In fact, at the end of this service, you're going to have a chance to, to say that to God, that I want to come back into relationship with you. Be sure to do that, because it's all about that personal relationship. You can't love God from a distance. So, he invites us to personally get close to him. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing and last thing. We get to thoughtfully get close to God. And the passage continues, Matthew 22, 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Hmm. This is so cool. The original word for mind, it carries with it this idea. That loving God with our minds means that we come to balanced conclusions, fully orbed thoughts, multifaceted reasoning, that this is how we are to approach the challenges of our world. It's the ability to see issues from many different perspectives. That's what the original language actually points to. That's what this means that this is what it looks like to love God with our minds, with our thoughts. It's actually to see many sides of an issue. And this is so amazing to me because we live in an era that wants to diminish our thinking to binary thoughts. You're either this or you're this. You're either in this camp or you're in this camp. There's nothing in between. You're either Democrat or Republican. You're either liberal or conservative. You're a cat person. You're a dog person. You're one of those extremes. And God is saying, if you are to love me with your mind, you will not think that small. You will think better than that. You will think bigger than that. Beyond those labels. See, this opens up so much to us, doesn't it? I don't have to be in these extremes, that I can actually, we can actually be anti-rioting and anti-racism. We can actually be pro-police and pro-helpful police reform. We can actually love our country and still want to fix the parts of it that are broken, that both can be true. Because I think, then, beyond binary labels, I can actually think bigger. I can think better. And this passage is telling me that I must think bigger if I'm to love God with my mind. That it's this full breath kind of reasoning that is essential to loving God. You know, um, Kate and Elliot Grasso, they're part of our church and, and Kate is our communications director. And they told me this story recently. They had had a, their, their air conditioner went out a few months ago when it was really hot in the summer. 
and they told me it kind of went on the fritz and I was worried for him because we had that happened to us this summer and and a technician came out to our place and immediately said yeah it's just broken it's toast then we had to replace the whole thing super expensive no fun at all and so I was hoping that wouldn't happen with them so they had called a technician out and and we're waiting to hear what the technician found and so the, the technician came out and he looked all around the stuff. It, it didn't really make sense what he was seeing. He didn't understand why it wasn't working. He thought it probably should be working. So something's going on here. And, and, and so the technician stopped and uh, he decided to just dig a little bit deeper. And he went to the place where the power supply comes in and he noticed this, that a frog, in fact, a couple of frogs, but a frog had crawled up in there and had stepped across the positive and negative poles of that power supply, <laughs> shorting out the AC unit and, yes, shortening his froggy life. And they showed me a picture of this frog. And it's a lovely picture because it looks as though the frog is actually worshiping on his way to heaven. He's just, you know, that's a great picture. But I think about that and I think perhaps another tech would have missed that opportunity, would have missed that, that problem and how to solve it. Maybe he would have just looked at it and said, it's broken, let's just swap out the unit. But this person, he thought big enough, he thought different enough to solve a very complex problem by looking at all the angles and discovering a unique and a much more cost-effective solution. Our world, friends, is filled with complex problems. And those problems will not be fixed by binary thinking. That you're either this or you're this. Our world wants us to live in those extremes, especially in this election season. And it ends up creating two sides that never listen and never talk. I mean, do we really believe that the entirety of who Jesus is can somehow fit into one of our political parties? No, of course not. So we must allow Jesus to help us think bigger than that, think better than that. We must develop a love for God that includes a deep thoughtfulness, well-orbed reasoning, bigger thinking. We must not settle for the binary options that our culture gives us. Instead, we must choose the full thoughts of God's kingdom. This is what it looks like to actually love God with our minds. See, I always thought that loving God with my mind meant that, uh, that I just didn't let myself have bad thoughts or angry thoughts or, or lustful thoughts, and certainly all that is included. But this directive from Jesus is showing us this truth, that loving God with our mind is not just about avoiding bad thinking, it's about cultivating better thinking. That our love for God is expressed in a thoughtful mind that can see from many different points of view. So thoughtfully then, get close to God. So I'll wrap up with this. As I mentioned, I've been spending some time uh, volunteering at some of the evacuation stations over at Lane Event Center, things like that, to help with the wildfire devastation. And um, when I was at the evacuee center with, with uh, my wife Paula and my son Isaac, I was struck by a lot of things. I was struck by the amazing generosity of our community and how they chipped in and, and gave so much of themselves and of their substance to this. But I was also struck by this big board that had names on it. It was the list of missing persons, folks they didn't know if they were alive or dead anymore. And I thought about that list and I thought about 
what their family members were going through with their names on that list, wondering if their loved one was safe. And then I read one name on it, and it had a person's name, and right next to it, it had the word found. And I thought, what a powerful thing that is. That being found was not about where they were, it was about who they were with. It was about who knew them. It was about who loved them, and it was about who was going to rejoice when they were safe. And I'm sure for that person, when they finally found out they were found, that their family wept with joy. Sometimes in the church, I think we make this idea of being found, we make it about being where we are. It's about being in a building or being in a service. But being found is not about where we are. It's about who we're with. I'm found when I'm close to Jesus. When I'm loving God with everything, and we have the power to choose that. And each of us can still choose that now. So if you would say right now that you personally want to grow in loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, I just invite you right where you are in your living room to just raise a hand, just say, yeah, that's me. I want to grow together that way. Let's do that together. But then there's a second group of people I would speak to. And it's those who would say, I, I do want this personal relationship with Jesus. And maybe you've had that relationship before and it's faded. Or maybe you've never had that personal relationship. Well, right now, all of that can change for you. You can have a personal relationship. Maybe you have felt lost. But right now... Some of you are personally choosing to trust Jesus in a new way. Maybe in a way you never have in your life before. And just know that the Bible says that when we draw close to Jesus, Jesus draws close to us. So if that is the cry of your heart today, I just invite you to, to click that little raise hand button on your screen and folks would love to pray with you about that decision that you're making in this moment. See, for all of us in these days, the call to us is to not allow the world that we're in to take us farther from each other and farther from God. No, it's just the opposite. Instead, let's allow these days to be the days that we one day look back on and say, those were the days I finally got closer to God. Let's pray.